the advocacy piece, right? So, I mean, how important is this in a young player's development process? Having an advocate. Yeah. Everything, bro. Mm-hmm. What, what is a coach if it's not if they aren't an advocate? Right. That's got that's probably gotta be at the core of the relationship to begin with. Um, so I think Alex Alex said this earlier off off air, right? Pre pre-record button, but we're talking about people who are here for the business side of things versus people who are really invested in not just the player, but the person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we've been fortunate to have a, a cohort of people. And, I, and listen, we say Coach Tucker and we say Mr. King, um, we say Cab. Coach Allen. We haven't mentioned Adrian Allen, right, who was one of my early coaches. Alex's early coach, who is still with us, that we still are in communication with today, still work with as much as we can, right? We're not talking about Mr. Garrett, right? His wife, my yeah. mom. Alex's family, right? The Hides. So it's not just the coaches on the field. It's a community of advocates, yeah. right? That's important and helping us get to where we're going to be, Mr. Cook and so forth. So there, there's a long list of people that were influential in our process and made our environment what it was, where advocacy was at the core of our programming. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. Yeah. So part of the reason I bring this up is I'm constantly having conversations with parents that are, um, you know, they're so focused on the competition, right. Or having the best team that they literally, like, I know, I mean, you guys know as well, you know, 13 year olds that have played on six, seven different teams. So they haven't, been anywhere to build any kind of relationship with the community, the coaching staff, the etc. So no, you know, like no matter how skilled the kid is, it's difficult for someone to serve as an advocate. Sure. Um, and and it's a hard thing to you know to tell parents that you know part of it is important. You need to build that relationship with a coaching staff or a club or a community or whatever it is because. There are a million skilled kids out here. Mm-hmm. You know, what what is gonna make that coach, you know, like you in this situation, Jason, right? So you you make it to the regional ODP team or whatever it is. Without Coach Tucker, you would have been stuck, I don't know, playing center back or right back or whatever it is. And then sooner or later, you start get you stop getting time. You you maybe even just lose interest in the game, you know what I mean? And what is what I call the destruction of talent, right? So then, that, and so, but having that advocate, you know, this guy would drive, you know, all the way to, to practice and constantly, constantly, you know, have this conversation with, with the coaching staff until they made right, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so this is something, I mean, you know, it's, it's not the focus of this conversation, but it's, it's something that, you know, I, w- I want you all to just touch on because I don't think parents really appreciate until it's too late. Like, mm. because even right now I have, I mean, James knows some of the people I've, you know, I even refer, refer to, I have people, kids that are 17, 18, and they're looking to play either college or, you know, go pro or whatever it is, but there's no, like they, they went to the shiny lights and nothing, you know what I mean? Nobody's like, nobody's, 
doing anything for them. Like they they're just out here like trying to figure out what's going on. And then now they and then they start reaching back <laughs> to some of the old people, you know, they they used to that they know have a good heart. Going back to the same thing uh Alex was saying about people who's really into it for for the kids. So if you guys could please just touch on the importance of this advocacy piece and building a relationship with, you know, staying in one place, really like, you know, staying in a place long enough to build a relationship. You want to start, Lux? I mean, um, look, I mean, like you said, we, we can <laughs> more recently than, 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 than ever talk about some, about things like that, about the importance of culture, the, the importance of staying with, staying in an environment that's going to, look out for you long term. You might not see it in a year or two, but three, four years down the road, you'll understand if you're in the right environment, if you're with the right people, why we're doing what we're doing. And those same people go to bat for you no matter where you are. I'm, look, I know you guys are the same. But I know Jason and I, we go above and beyond for our players. It's not just the soccer piece, but how you at home, how the family, how the school, We'll pull you to the side to find out what's going on with your family. You know what I mean? And you don't find those type of you don't find those relationships often. You don't find people who care about those type of relationships often. And to be honest, the reason why we do that, number one, we had that growing up, but we also can relate to a lot of these kids. We come from where they come from. Like I was saying on names, a lot of these coaches don't come from where these kids come from. So they don't understand, they don't even care. They won't get why a kid has an attitude or why things are not going well because we because of our upbringing, because of the people who was in our corner, we understand understand the importance of that because it's bigger than soccer. And Jason said this all the time, it's about making good human beings. Thanks. And if you're only focusing on the soccer piece, but you're not really worried about the person off the field, what kind of relationship are you really building? It's kind of, kind of like a business transaction. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's not what we're looking for. <clears throat> and Coach Tucker and Cab, Coach Allen, and many other names that Jason's mentioned, those people always cared about us, of course, on the field, but as well off the field. So that's that's been a huge piece in why we are the way we are. We're telling our kids when we're doing recruits, when we're talking to our players, we're telling them the importance of those things. They might not, they don't get it because we didn't get it at that age. Yeah. You know what I mean? But as they get older, they're, they'll look back and say, okay, those guys care. Yeah. That community care. So. Yeah, I mean, I think if I would add anything to that, um, I would say that the challenge is, and we said this in a, a parent meeting uh, within the last year, how the truth uh, sounds crazy in a world full of lies, right? And so you have a lot of clubs who, um, I won't use the word, I don't want to use the word predatory, but they have a business model. Right. The idea is we want to attract the best players possible. Um, and whatever comes along with that comes along with that. But the challenge is when you have big structures, big clubs, you know, the new thing is we're merging. Right. So everybody's emerged. Cool. I'm not knocking the process. Sometimes there's a good reason for it. Um, but a lot of it is trying to stay relevant. Yeah, hilarious, but Jason. we get lost in the kids who aren't at the very top, right? Because the ones who are really operating at that level need a little less advocacy to begin with, right? They're going to probably be fine. 
Mm-hmm. And we, Alex and I talk about how when we look at clubs, not looking at your first team, right? So if you say you have a curriculum that develops players, I want to, if you're a smaller club, I want to see a second and third team, right? You're a club, I uh, just got back from North Carolina, went down at, um, work with NCFC's teams uh, for a bit at, um, at the large park that they, they train in. And so they, what I, from what someone said, and this may be, this is one of the staff coaches saying it. I mean, he may be embellishing a little bit. So yeah, like 20 teams in one age group. So, you know, I, I would like to see <laughs> in any club structure, like That's what crazy. does the bottom end look like, right? What does your mid look like? Cause we know the top end is going to, should be fine, right? They, they should be improving. They should be playing good soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, so ab- real advocacy is, investing the same time and resources into the kids who aren't on your first team. The late bloomers. Right. Yeah. yeah. How many of those kids, right? You got your, your college commitments up. Okay. How many of those kids are coming from your second team that were a part of a long-term development plan? Right. Cause there's nothing wrong with being in the second group or third group. Cause until they go through puberty, we don't really know what they're going to be anyway. Right. So, so you got to wait. So, yeah. but how often do you see those stories on social media, right? You flick through, right? You see a lot of goals, a lot of free kicks, right? Rarely do you see the story of, hey, this kid stuck with the process. This is where he started. This is where he, where he was trending. And this is where he finished. And it doesn't mean you got to go play for Clemson, right? It just means that you made it to the next level because of advocacy, and then commitment to that child's development. And we just rarely see that story. Um, but we, right, we have done that story, right? We, we, don't, we don't pump our chest about it, but that's our daily work. You know what I'm saying? We, we have the data to support that. We can really start telling that story, but, you know, we try to stay humble and stay doing our work in the background and just doing what we do for our kids and in the, in the communities that we serve. Um, but I think we're getting to a point now where like, this is important. And I, and I respect that you two have started this process of um, allowing these stories to be told because they're important stories. Um, and it may not shift the entire landscape, right? Because the U.S. youth soccer landscape is, is not going to be um, – disrupted by this conversation right right? but we may help a few families who maybe need to hear some of the things that we're discussing tonight and if we have an opportunity to save a kid to keep a kid in an environment that's great for them it's going to help them long term then you know we've done a good job yeah Yeah. i want to add on that too right where you just ended jason i think it's important to to build a strong relationship with the parents as well and be be honest and direct with the parents because it's, it's a process. So some of those parents, they just think you can just come to a club and then boom, you, you become a messy, right? And then certain coaches are not honest. You got to be honest with those parents. And as a coach, you got to be honest with ourselves too. If you have a talent, you know the talent needs some process. You got to be honest and let the, that, uh, that kid know or let the parents know. So that relationship with the parents is very important. So if the parent can understand what we're trying to build here as coaches or as a club, then it's easy for them to stay instead of just going somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think you gotta talk, you have to, you have to be transparent about what the realities are for kids who um maybe aspire to play in college, right? Maybe they're excuse me, a U12 player 
And at that age, they maybe have gone to a game and they're thinking about the college game. You know, Alex and I provide all of our players with a technical journal to follow at home. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're not doing that work. Maybe you're undersized right now, et cetera, et cetera. Like you got to come back to families and say, listen, like there's a very small percentage of people who transition from travel soccer into college soccer. And then those percentages get even smaller and smaller as you start to go up the levels in college. Yes, sir. Um, and then the pro game is its own beast. Right. <laughs> so let's let's go back to working on the technical journal that we gave you on the days that we ask you to do it before we start having conversations about Chelsea, right? Because you're not dominating the local U12 team that you're playing against. Yes, sir. <laughs> you got to stay grounded in, in reality a little bit about what, what, what the work is. But you know what it is? It, a, a big issue is our lens are different. Mm-hmm. We're looking at the technical aspect of a player and saying they're ready or not. A lot of these coaches are looking at the athletic side, the physical ability of a player. So you're not, you might not be the most technical player, and you might tell them that, but they'll oh, go play right back. You can go up and down. You're fine. But if technically you can't do more than the next kid who's just as fast as you, what is the purpose? Yes, I was sir. just having a conversation with a parent, and um, one of the things he's like, well, if he's playing right back and he's putting the crosses in, that might be all oh, that's good enough. I said, for who? Because hmm. for me and Jason and for you guys, a million kids do that. Can you bring more to the table? And then what is your what is your end goal for that kid? Is your end goal for that kid just to be another number? Or is that end goal for you to stretch that kid to his maximum ability to see how far he can really go? Yes, a lot of things go into play. But as a coach, your program should be able to give that kid that. That if he wants to go to that next level, you're providing them that. So not just allowing a kid to get away with the athleticism or being the strongest kid. Taking the L because you want your team or your players to develop. If you're not going in with that mindset for each individual player, then yeah, you just want a kid that can just do the job and keep it moving. It's not about that. That job is for me, but the end goal, the story, the journey is for that kid. So are you making the journey memorable, the experience memorable for that kid? And I don't think a lot of coaches are doing that. And I don't think a lot of coaches are being honest. With parents, parents will play as long as you're paying. Yeah, come on, we're not in the business of doing that, just making money out of this. The main part doesn't, even, doesn't matter to us. What are we doing for that kid every day? You know what I mean? Are we having those conversations? Hey, man, he, he played good, but he's not, he's not, he's not using his moves. Let's figure out what we can do. Or that kid has great, great scoring ability, but he's not working on the technical part of it. What can we do to make him better? And having those type of conversations. All day, every day to improve. That's one kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you're not thinking like that or you don't care enough to have those conversations about each kid, what are you doing this for, to be honest? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Right? I mean, we're in a, a very result-oriented environment, right? And um, how we measure success in the youth soccer game is, is always going to be wins and losses for the most part, right? Because that, that's how it's measured at the top. I think the challenge there is we have a structure that um, is so big. um, It's hard for parents to understand um, what the setup is, why it's set up that way, what it means to players who engage at certain levels. Um, 
but also that the result of any given match is not a indicator of your child's performance per se. Meeting. What was that? Uh, what was the comment that you made at the last parent meeting or uh, uh, right before the fall <laughs> season last year? Yeah, well, we we were, t- we were talking about um, and just trying to give perspective to parents who can be in a team that it that's having success in terms of team results, but that is not an indicator that your child is developing in the way that they should, right? So people will sit on a team that, that is a winning program. Their child doesn't play very often. Um, their child is not developing in the way that they, they need to develop for, for their trajectory. Um, but because the team is getting a result, they're happy to stay in that environment. We have the, you know, yeah, we 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 say that to our own families to say, I don't want you to be satisfied because we want a tournament, right? We're looking at Alex invested in VO for the group. Please go watch your child's games back, right? We give you the developmental objectives of what we're working on, and then we're having these evaluation conversations to say to you, hey, we are not seeing with consistency the things that aligned to our developmental objectives for your child. So, okay, what what tournament we won, right? That didn't have anything to do with your child. Right. And that, that's an important, that's an important piece for families to have to really sit with. Um, but in and to James's point, it, it can be somewhat transactional because as much as you sit with people, have these very deep conversations, I think it works for families until it doesn't. Yep. And that can mean an, uh, what they perceive to be a better option comes along. Right. Um, we, you know, we had this conversation about the child want versus the parent protecting. So mm-hmm. you see something that's glitzy, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. And maybe it's the next league up, put a name out. Um, and so you're sending your child there because, you know, they they think they're going on to something bigger and better per se, um, without really understanding what that environment is for the, for their child. So, I remember having this conversation with um, one of our players who uh, went on to play in college, but at U seventeen was being courted heavily, right? And and by local clubs, MLS, whatever, whatever. And I was saying to the family, not that I had an issue there, but. You know, what what would have been interesting about that situation had he transitioned to uh, one of the MLS franchises is he was still going to go to college. Right. So now when you show up and you get your bio done. Right. It says MLS club who had nothing to do with you, but for the final year of your high school. Right. (laughs) I was with you when you ran like a camel, my guy, like. You know, this this has been nine years of hard work to get to this point. Okay. And so puberty, right? Nobody wanted you when you were young, right? You hit 16, went to 6'2, 185. Now that now everybody's knocking on your door. And I, how how interesting is that, right? And so I you know I respect the family because they got it, right? They stayed in the program. He went on to play division one college soccer, he's doing very well for himself. Um, but when those opportunities come, it's hard to also balance with your child that like, Hey, you're in a good space, yeah. right? 
Why go put yourself in an environment where you got to go be a part of 35 kids in an environment where you're probably going to play very little, right? You can look at a sheet and see that the, the players beyond the 18 are not really getting games. So what, what, what purpose are you serving there? Um, and some people get it, some people don't. And I think it's always going to be that way. All you can do is give the facts and try not to take things personally when people uh, move on because their journey is going to be their journey. Just to add on to that part, normally when that happens, it's during the most critical time where a kid needs to be playing every weekend. Yes, sir. I mean, if you, if you, if you look at the, at the highest level, the pro level, players that don't play every week, when they finally get a chance to get in, they're rusty. They're not as sharp as everybody else. So if that's with the pro, and they're training every day. How can you think that between the ages of U13 and U17, that playing every day, like meaningful minutes, not five minutes here, five minutes there, if it's a championship game, you're not getting no piece of that environment, that part, that 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 experience. How do you not think that's going to affect the child? Getting very little playing time between those critical years of now you're going through puberty, so your body's changing, so you need to play. Your, your body needs to remember all the muscle memories, everything that you're going through. How do you not think those are important times when your kid need to be on the field playing? Yeah, and it, it can be, it can be playtime. It can be playing out of position, right? So you go into a team being one thing. But for the team result, you end up playing somewhere else, right? Or there are limitations put on your game because what you were allowed to do in terms of expressing yourself in one environment is not allowed in that, in that environment because that coach doesn't want to take those risks. So, the, you know, the player that, you know, we're talking about that came out of our program, you know, he's a, he's a center back, right? But he's allowed to combine with the six and get into the attack. Right. Like we have video of him wall passing over multiple lines, getting into the attack and creating a goal scoring opportunity. Well, you might go into a team that says our center backs don't travel for it. Right. So now what are you putting on tape? Right. Mm -hmm. This is a conversation we have with parents. Okay. In this world, right. Landscape has changed. You can go direct to a coach. If you have quality film, film doesn't lie. But film doesn't lie. And so when you have to pull your clips, right, you're looking through hours and hours of video of something that's relevant to show on tape, not just a control and a lateral pass, right? And you don't have that. It's hard because now you're just amongst the masses. And if you're not already well-recognized or well-regarded, you, you know, residency, U.S. national team, like, okay, well, why, what makes you any different than the next kid? Yeah. You know, so. And if you take it, and if we take you, we're not giving you money. So now you got to pay for school. You know what I mean? So <laughs> well, I mean that, that, that's a whole happen now. Yeah, you, you got to think about that. If you're going to yeah. make that rich, a lot of parents are doing this. I'm sorry to cut you off, Mike. But a lot of parents are doing this so they can get to college. Cool. Mm -hmm. That's our mindset when we're developing players. But if you're just like everybody else, it's not a lot of scholarship money. That's true. If you're just like Jason said. If you're among the masses, well, you got to fill out the fast one. Yeah, but Alex, here's the thing, right? So the my confusion with this uh sales pitch of college to these affluent families, right? Because as we know, you know, the, the real talented kids, unfortunately, a lot of times do not come from the affluent backgrounds, right? So there are working class families, et cetera. Okay. What, what I'm always confused about is like, you know, especially with some, 
<clears throat> a lot of the legacy clubs, they push the college, you know, like we're, we're getting kids that, you know, to play in college, et cetera. Like Jason said earlier, these are kids that will go to college regardless. Right. Their parents, you know, they, they have the funds to, you know, to get them to college. And and the part that a lot of legacy clubs leave out is that you can look at you can look at the college um, entry list every year. Most of those like 98 percent of them are not on scholarship. Right. Yeah, and maybe like the two percent that got in the D1, maybe only one percent. That's true. Is there in D1 playing on scholarship? That's yeah. true. Yeah. Right. So the re- the the reality is you do have to be special. I mean, w- let's not even get into like, you know, I was telling I was telling James the other day. I was like, you know, one of the things I, I'm constantly doing is research and anybody can do this. Just look at the top 10 college teams right now and look at the roster and tell me where they come from. Not here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jason, we're just talking about that. <laughs> you're compete. You're not competing against the players in America yeah. anymore. That's true. And you it's really got to stand out. Yeah, it's not only in D one. It's in D two. It's crazy. It's it's yes. It's yeah. like like I'm kind. You know, I'm constantly getting the alum. You know, they're telling us about. And I'm looking at the roster of <laughs> like when I was at Pitt. There was three of us that weren't American born. Three, a Brazilian guy, myself, and a Mexican kid. Now, at Pitt, <laughs> there's three American born. <laughs> And the three American-born went to uh, institute in Spain. One went to institute in Spain. One went to institute in Germany. Another in uh, France. So it was your fault. <laughs> no, 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 my point is, my point, what I'm saying is, is like, so to you, to your point, Jason. Like, I, I think parents like really need to understand this: is that if your goal, if the kid's goal is to play at a high level in, even in the U.S., right? Play college at a high level, D1, whatever, at one of the big schools. You need to be a fully developed, special player. And the chances of that happening in a big factory is not high. It's tough, yeah. Yeah, Um I think I think that's always that, that's a that's a tough that's a tough topic, Mike. Because um, I think Alex and I both had kind of different journeys to the levels that we reached, um, and we try to provide perspective from people who have both both played in Europe, right? Both played at some played some of the top clubs in Europe uh, at varying age groups and so forth. Um, also both went pro out of a university where that's not, you know, sort of like, it's not a factory for that per se. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and both played at a high level and, you know, everything below that. Um, so it's difficult then when you have kids who are going through bigger clubs. And again, I'm not, not I mean, look, you might be in an area where you're the only game in town. And so by, by default, you are a big club. Yeah. Um, I think it's about, Again, just giving perspective for the trajectory of a given kid, because one person's pathway is probably going to be different than the other. And um, if you are struggling, all right, at whatever level you're currently playing at, and it's not a very high level, whatever, whatever, for whatever that's supposed to mean, um, 
you might have some work to do before you can th start thinking about whether you can step into a university where you're playing with you know, on the on the boys' side. Now you're playing with men, right? And like I, I told a player in the conference that we had as we were getting through sort of our college recruitment process and we we're really starting to narrow down schools. And he said to me, Hey, I want to go play at UVA. So I said, Okay. <laughs> so you know, I had to sit on that for a second and just think about the way to kind of have a, a conversation with him about that reality. Decent player, not UVA level, decent player. But so I, I took some photographs um, of some of the kids who are currently playing at UVA. Right? So I took his action photo, and took three other action photos from UVA, and I showed his body relative to the bodies of a UVA level player. Kid, this they're they're ten yards faster than you, right? There's no way that this yeah that space is not for you. You just have to be honest about what that is. You can go there and play like club ball, right? But you're not going there. Or if you go, you you know you're a part of the scout team. Like you're a thirty six kid that never travels. You're gonna work very hard at practice to make sure that the the game situation is set up properly for the starting group. That's going to be your UVA <laughs> Got to be honest. Uh, you got to be honest with your kids. I right? So I don't know how we got to a space where everybody's going to play D1. It's Man. not even that. It's, there aren't that many spaces. Yeah. It's right? crazy. And to your, to your point about bringing in the international part of, of what you're competing with, now there are even fewer spaces for kids to get into that. And so there, you have to really be either just a, a phenomenal athlete where you get away with maybe a, a, a bit of uh, where you lack technique to an extent. Mm -hmm. Those players exist. Um, but if not, then you, if you're going to play and have a career at that level, then you've got to be a, a very well-rounded player who makes good decisions with the ball, um, can handle the, the speed and physicality of, you know, that level of play. And again, I would extend that down to D2. Like, I don't want to leave out. There are quality programs, D1 through D3, and every exactly. other second, NAIA, whatever, you name Jugo, these yeah. overlooked yeah. program segments, right? Um, and so even with all of those opportunities, um, you still have to be a very good player to find time in an 11 consistently at the college level, wherever you're playing. That, yeah. that, that, that goes without saying. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think we do a good job of telling – parents the reality of what that looks like to get to that space.